Remember this, we must not forget that our saving faith is precious and valuable. We must be diligent to determine and know sound doctrine. We must preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember this, fake doctrine promises a refreshing reign of hope, but it brings dryness. Fake doctrine promises spiritual life, but it only brings death. Fake doctrine promises spiritual fruit, but only delivers emptiness. Remember this, the world has subtle and clever ways to try to confuse and discourage you. So keep yourself ready in God's love and pray for the Holy Spirit to build you up. Have mercy and compassion on those polluted by sin. Remember this, be ready to discern truth from almost truth. Be ready for Christ's return. Be ready to contend for the faith. Have you ever received an email or a phone call from, I'll use the term, scammer? Anybody? Anybody ever got Well, Probably all of us. And I'm not talking about uh, a solicitation to, for you to buy something. I'm talking about somebody that is intentionally trying to deceive you uh, by getting you to do something that you otherwise would not do. And we see those in the form of phone calls sometimes. Uh, maybe you've even received that uh, or a voicemail. I've, I've, I've have a, on the, the answer machine the, the recording of, uh, this is the IRS and uh, you're in big trouble, Mr. Bricker, if you don't contact us quickly. I guarantee you that's not the IRS calling me and they're trying to get me to reveal some information. They want me to think they are something that they're not. And the same with emails. We, uh, a lot of times we get the emails and it looks like it comes from somebody we know or a company that we trust. Well, now that's spread down to text as well. And sometimes we get texts that look something like this. Now, I have two of them up here. The first one looks like it might be coming from your bank if you're a Bank of America customer. And they're telling you that they've freeze, they put a freeze on your account and you need to confirm and get this taken care of. And you don't want checks bouncing, so this must be the Bank of America. I must immediately do this. Well, what you're going to do is they're going to continue to ask you questions such as, what is your account number? What are your PIN numbers? And now your problem is not having your account frozen. Your problem is your account's now empty because they've taken all your money. The other one is one that kind of appeals to our Oh, yeah, I've won something because we, are, we always say, well, I never win anything. Well, now all of a sudden you've won something. It says it right here in this text. If all I have to do is click on this and I get a, a free Amazon gift card for $500. Man, what could be better? What a great way to start my day. Well, that's probably not the case either, right? That they're going to be asking for information or maybe even downloading some malware on your phone if you click on that link. Now, the point of this is not to encourage you to be safe in what you click on or what you respond. And there is a, some truth to that. But that there are people out there that are trying to deceive us. I read an article this past week about a man right here in Lee County that has scammed folks of almost half a million dollars in just one of his scam schemes. And he, fortunately, he's arrested. He's behind bars now. But here's what he was doing. He was here in Lee, Collier, and Charlotte County, was going to churches. I'm not sure why these churches had him come and speak, but he was going, talking about how he could promise them a certain percentage return if, he would give, if they would give him their money. He was a house flipper, and he could promise this return. Now, he collected almost $700,000 in cash in this scam, and he paid out uh, around 100000 So over half a million dollars this guy made. Thank goodness he's behind bars. Now, how is it that we're so easily deceived? I think it's part of our human nature, right? That we want to trust people. We think that they have our best or we're thinking we might be able to get something out of it. 
But this is no different than the issue that we've been dealing with for the last several weeks as Jude has been warning us of the danger of false teachers. Because you'd say, well, who would ever fall prey to false teaching? Well, the same can be said about the scammers today as well as the false teachers today, that there are a bunch of people that will easily fall prey to both. And our challenge today is not so much the scammers that are going to try to take your money, your identity, but those even more serious that will try to steal your faith, that will try to take you down a road that you don't want to go down, especially if you are a true child of God. And so the question this morning is, are we ready to face these false teachers that are all around us? Jude has presented to us a picture of apostates. He's given us this, uh, all this information over the last several weeks, their nature, their history, their characteristics. And remember, an apostate is somebody that acts like a believer, but they're not really a believer. They are a pretender. And we have to recognize that, wait a minute, this person is really not a true believer. Jude's given us examples from the past. He's also warned us that they have infiltrated the church. Remember back just a few weeks ago in verse 12 when he used this phrase, these are, referring to the false teachers, hidden reefs at your love feast. So how ready are you to face false teachers? Jude says they're all around us. Are we ready to face them? And we come to this passage this morning that I believe is the most important passage in the book of Jude. And I know you're saying, well, yeah, you say that because you're teaching that one. But no, I really believe this is the most important because Jude, after building this, this portrait of what false teachers look like, now he gets to the, okay, what do we do because of that? How do we respond? How do we, in fact, contend for the faith in the midst of all these false teachers? And he wants us to be ready. Let's read our text together, beginning in verse 17, and then we'll look at the three major sections that Jude has here for us. Beginning in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So we start with Roman numeral one. And Jude is telling us, really he's commanding us to remember. Remember the warning of the apostles. And his letter really shifts gears at this point because up to this point, he's really just been dealing with what do these false teachers look like and the danger that they present to the body of Christ. But now he begins to point to the believer when he says, but you, beloved, but you, beloved, and he has this emphatic, but you, which he gives the first imperative of the entire book of Jude starts right here. It's right here when he says, but you must what? Remember, remember. Now, some of you are like going, oh no, a command for me to remember. I have a terrible memory. How in the world am I ever going to follow and fall, you know, fall, follow through with this command if I can't remember people's names or dates and all that? And that, here's the good news. Jude's not talking about remembering, just remembering facts. Now, that's, that's somewhat important, 
But that's not the main point. When, when scripture uses this word remember, it's talking about allowing the truth of that message to be imprinted on our hearts, that it has an impact on how we live, how we think, how we behave. And so the challenge to remember means that we're going to be different. And he says, okay, well, what are we supposed to remember then? Well, he gives us two truths here, two truths. Letter A, the first truth is we are to remember there will be false teachers. Now, Jude uses in this particular passage the word scoffers. He says there in verse 18, he says, they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers. And that word scoffer, some of your translations might mean uh, or might uh, use the word mocker also. But Jude is referring here to the false teachers, the false teachers he's been talking about all the way up until this point. And it's interesting that the wording of verse 17 and 18 is very, very similar to 2 Peter chapter 3. And, and the reason I think that's interesting is because Jude has said that we should remember the prediction of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now he is basically quoting Peter. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here's what Peter says. And notice the similarities as we read through this. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. You see, Peter was not the only apostle to predict that false teachers would come. That's why Jude, Jude used the term apostles, plural, not just apostle. Yes, he was quoting Peter here for sure, based on how close the wording is, but he also could have quoted Paul or John as well. In fact, let's look at what the apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The apostle John in 1 John 4, 1 says this, behold, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And all of this came from the primary source of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus in Matthew 7, 15 says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This had been Jude's warning throughout his letter that there are false teachers among us. And now this prophecy had been fulfilled. Jude's saying, no, not only did the apostles predict this was going to happen, no, it's happened. They're here. They are those hidden reefs. They are those that have snuck in undetected into the church. So remember, there will be false teachers. But he also tells them to remember what false teachers look like. Again, he's been, he's been doing this. He's been building this portrait of what a false teacher looks like. And not that every false teacher will have every one of these characteristics that he has highlighted over the last, really, 14 or so verses. But many of those characteristics will be part of what a false teacher looks like. Now, he adds a few more things that I want us to look at here in verse 19. He says, it is these, the false teachers, who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So number one, they're divisive. 
They are divisive. They're causing division. Just like Satan wants to do anything he can to rip and tear apart relationships, families, marriages, even churches, maybe primarily churches. And these false teachers are following their master, Satan, and doing the same thing and trying to create division. Their goal is strife, not unity. Discord instead of love. And they can tear down in a single day what has taken years to build up. And so they cause division. Secondly, he says they are worldly, meaning they follow their own desires, not the desires of God. Why do they do that? Well, he answers the question there, the last part of that. He says they are devoid of the spirit, meaning they're lost. They're unregenerate. And this last characteristic is the most telling and the most tragic that these false teachers are lost outside of Jesus Christ. So how well are you at identifying false teachers? Are you pretty good when you hear error in someone's teaching? Are you pretty good when you see behavior that lines up with what Jude has described a false teacher looks like? I hope so. I hope you will be able to better identify false teachers moving forward. The summation of Roman numeral one at the bottom there, that section, remember there will always be false teachers among us, but we are called to contend for the faith. And again, when we are called to earnestly contend for the faith, Jude has in mind what is that primary doctrinal aspect of our faith, the gospel proper. Those issues, those doctrines, those theological issues that all center around our salvation. Let's be honest, there's going to be differences of interpretation as it relates to things maybe like the end times. What's the timing on how things are going to happen at the end of time? Eschatology. That we would probably have multiple different interpretations, but that's a secondary issue. What Jude is saying is we must contend for the gospel proper, the faith that is so central to our salvation. Roman numeral two, because after he challenges them with this idea of remembering, he challenges them to remain in the love of God. Look at verses 20 through 21. But you, beloved, keep building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, Jude gives us a game plan for how to grow spiritually, how to better prepare ourselves to be able to defend or contend for the faith. We want to defend it too, but he's talking about contending, earnestly contending for the faith. And the grammar of these verses right here that I just read is fascinating because Jude anchors his instructions in this imperative keep or to remain, to keep ourselves in the love of God, to remain ourselves in the love of God. And then he sets in place these three participle phrases that are all connected to this imperative, this command, and they're all linked to it. In other words, he says, remain in the love of God. And let me tell you how to do that with these three participle phrases. Well, what are those phrases? Well, go back to look at 20 and 21. First of all, the imperative is keep yourself in the love of God. But before that, he says, building yourself up in your most holy faith. And the second one is praying in the Holy Spirit. Then he comes down and adds the last one, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So how do we remain in the love of God? These three participle phrases answers that question. And what Jude does here, it's genius. He gives us this threefold strategy for spiritual growth. Now, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I I need to grow more in my faith. 
If you're not satisfied where you are, I hope your ears have perked up to go, wait a minute, there's a strategy here on how I can grow spiritually. Maybe now I'll start taking some notes uh, or listening a little closely, closer. But here Jude gives us what I think is a great strategy. It's, it applies to me, it applies to every believer how we can grow spiritually. The first thing, letter A, grow in God's word. He says that first phrase, building yourselves up. That means to grow, right? To build ourselves up and we grow what? In your most holy faith. He's talking about the faith that was delivered once for all to the saints. They were building their life on that central foundational faith, just as God's word for us today should be the foundation for all of our growth. It is the rock on which we stand. Amen? And if we're going to grow, we must spend time in the word of God. It just amazes me at times when I talk to people and they'll, they'll share their discouragement that they are not growing like they wish they were. Or they're not growing like they once did grow in their faith. And I begin to talk with them more and find out that they're not even spending very little time, if any, in the word of God. Maybe they hear it on Sunday when they come, but outside of Sunday when they're in church, they're not even opening up their Bible. Listen, here is the, the, the most simplest, perhaps the most profound axiom that goes along with this. No Bible, no growth. No Bible, no growth, right? If I'm not in the word of God, how in the world can I grow? How can I know what he wants me to know outside of the word of God? What does that look like? On a very quick cursory glance, it means I'm consistent in opening that book and reading it every day. It doesn't mean I'm spending five hours reading the Bible or three hours, but I'm opening it and I'm reading it every day. It has become a priority in my life. And not only am I reading it, but I'm meditating on the word of God. I'm dwelling on it. I'm thinking about what does it say? What is God saying to me in this passage? And so I'm reading it. I'm meditating on it. I'm studying the Bible. I'm going even deeper, trying to figure out what exactly this text means. And so I'm reading I'm meditating, I'm studying, maybe I'm memorizing, I'm starting to spend time memorizing God's word. All of these things allow me to begin to hear from God through his word so that I, in fact, can grow. We must spend time in God's word if we're going to grow in our faith. Secondly, letter B, pray in the spirit. Prayer is another way that we remain in the love of God. There is a battle for our mind. There is a battle for our actions. There is a battle for what we believe. It's a spiritual battle that's going on. And the only way we have a chance is prayer. Prayer, praying in the Holy Spirit. And this is the second time Jude's mentioned the Holy Spirit here. He's told us that counterfeit Christians are devoid of the Spirit. He said that a moment ago. We looked in verse 19. And now he tells us that genuine Christians are to pray in the Holy Spirit. And so, and by the way, Jude is not encouraging speaking in tongues in this passage right here. In fact, this is nowhere on Jude's radar or his focus. He's contrasting the false teachers not having the Spirit with the genuine believers who do have the Spirit. Therefore, they can pray in the Holy Spirit. There's a parallel verse found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And the context in Ephesians clarifies again that speaking in tongues is not what praying in the Spirit means. Request for God's will to be done and to resist the attack of the, of the evil one is Paul's focus in this particular section of Ephesians chapter 6. 
And so praying in the Spirit really means that we will pray for God's will to be done, not our own. And so my question here, much like the question of how much time are we spending in God's Word, is how much time are we spending in prayer? How much time did you spend this last week praying? Not just, you know, a blessing before a meal, not just when you're here at church, but how much time did you set aside to pray, to commune, to talk with God? And and I guess if I ask the question, is anybody satisfied with their prayer life? I have a feeling nobody's going to raise their hand, right? Because all of us could say, yeah, I I need to spend more time in prayer. And if I'm going to grow like God intends for me to grow, to become more like his son, Jesus Christ, each and every day. I have to be spending time in his word and I have to be spending time communing with him, talking with him, praying in the spirit. The third thing that Jude gives us here, letter C, wait in the hope of Jesus. Now this one seems a little bit different, right? Look what he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now do you see what Jude's doing here? He's, he understands the power of a future hope. And so what he's doing is he's presenting a a powerful motivator that's going to come in the future for a present action now. And I can relate to that. I, I know growing up, I hated vegetables. I hated eating vegetables. Anything green, ugh. Now, I've changed drastically. I love, I love me some vegetables now. Pretty much anything I'll eat, I love it. But growing up, I was the worst eater ever. But my parents, thank goodness, knew that it was important that I got some of the nutrients that were in some of those green things. And so their motivation for getting me to eat vegetables was pretty simple. You don't leave the table till you eat those vegetables on your plate. Sounds pretty simple. Unfortunately, I would sit there And everybody else is gone, and I'm still sitting there staring at that little pile of cold lima beans (laughs) that I know are just going to make me gag if I try to eat them. And I worked myself up. But eventually, my brother's off doing something. Everybody's out doing things, watching TV, whatever. And I'm like, I don't want to still be here. So I somehow gag down those cold lima beans so I can go and do what I want to do. Well, in some ways, that's what Jude is giving here to his his listeners. That it wasn't easy being a Christian in Jude's day. It's not easy being a Christian today. And, And one of the things that should motivate us, should comfort us to stay faithful to what God has called us to do, to spend time in the word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time serving him and ministering in his name is we know no matter how hard it gets, we have that victory that's coming in eternal life with Jesus for all eternity, amen? And so that is what motivates us in the now. And so Jude is using that powerful motivator to say, stay focused on the mercy to come, the hope that we'll have one day. So as we're growing in our faith, now Jude leads to this third point, the rescue. Rescue those falling prey to a false gospel. And it's really progressive that I really believe that the reason Jude has this last in this section is that you can't really be effective in being a part of God's rescue strategy, God's rescue plan until you're growing in your faith because you're going to be so self-centered if you're not spending the time in the word of God and praying and focusing on the hope that is to come. And so we get those things lined up and now we get to be part of God's rescue plan. So what does that look like? Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by 
the flesh. By the way, these two verses are a landmine of textual issues, but fortunately for us and for me, the basic meaning is pretty clear. And Jude is going to show how we are to respond to those that have been impacted by the false teachers and even perhaps how we respond to the false teachers themselves because he gives us three groups here and what that looks like in our rescue of them in these three groups. Letter A is the first group. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. And so Jude's likely referring to those here that have, they're just starting to be influenced by the false teachers. And perhaps they're, they're beginning to doubt whether what they've heard from the beginning in church, uh, from their Christian faith, to what now the false teachers are saying. You know, what's true? Is it what I've always heard? Or is it this new teaching? This new teaching sounds good. Is this true? And so they're starting to have doubts. Now let's be honest, in the church, even today, we all have doubts at different times, right? I mean, all of us have doubts. That's why we need brothers and sisters in Christ that are willing to contend for the faith that will come alongside me in my doubts and help me work through whatever struggle I'm going through in the moment. And that's why God needs you and your faith to contend for the faith, to come alongside another brother or sister that are struggling in their faith. They're starting to doubt. They're starting to ask questions. Because here's our tendency. When someone has a question or when someone says something that we think is wrong, we tend to kind of just shut them down and reject them and say, I can't believe they had that thought. How immature. Instead of showing mercy, showing kindness, going to them in gentleness and working through that with them. That's what we're called to do. Not shut them down, not reject them, but to show Mercy. Now, what does that look like? Well, I started thinking about that this week, and I, I came up with a pretty long list, and we don't have time to go through the whole list. If you join me on this week's Beyond the Notes podcast, I'll go through the whole list. But let me just give you one thing that this would look like. If we're going to have mercy on those that are doubting, those are question, asking questions, we need to be really good listeners. Now, I know I, I'm probably talking more to the, the men in the group here, than the women, but men, let's be honest, we're not always the best listeners, right? Because here's a couple of things that happens, and it, it's not just men, I know women can do this too, but primarily it does, men tend to struggle with this. As we're listening to someone, what's going on in our mind? We're already trying to fix the problem, right? So we've got the first part of the problem out, and you know, they got it out, and we're already wheeling with how we can fix it, and they continue to talk. Now they might have already worked through the problem verbally, but, but we haven't even heard what they said because we're, 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 we're formulating the solution for their problem. And we, we, we just have that tendency to do that. We also, like I said, don't always listen real well. We hear what we want to hear and we go from there. And so to show mercy to those who are doubting, it's going to take a man or woman that's able to listen well. And to listen well means you're probably saying a whole lot less than the other person, Right? Because how can I listen if I'm the one doing all the talking? Now, if you want to hear the rest of the, the list, join me this week. I'm beyond the notes. The second group, letter B, snatch others from the fire. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. This next group is in great danger. And the image suggests that they have heard the false teachers and they have bought into the false theology that those false teachers are teaching. They are lost and they are heading in the opposite direction of God in their lives right now. And the picture is that they are, they are there just shy of being consumed by the fire. And so let's, let's take a look at, at what Jude describes we are to do here because it's quite a challenge that we as in humility and in faith 
are to be used by God in this rescue mission. And by the way, as we are part of God's rescue mission, we are never ever the ones that bring salvation, right? God is the ultimate and only source of salvation. He chooses to use us as secondary means. We get to be a part of his rescue mission to them. But it's God that does the saving. Now notice what these two, two, two phrases, the first one he uses is snatching. Snatching. If I see you after the, the, the service this morning and you're down here and holding your keys in your hands and I snatch them out of your hands, what have I done? I've forcefully taken your keys. You haven't given them to me. You haven't offered them to me. Would you like my keys? No, I have snatched them out of your hands. And so there is this implication here that we're doing something that might feel somewhat awkward in the moment in someone's life. But here's the important thing. Notice what we're snatching them from. He says, he says the word fire. And that fire refers to the future judgment in hell. The Jude's pretty clear here that the image of this group, that they are that close to experiencing God's wrath and God's judgment for all eternity. However, it's not too late, is it? It's not too late. It's not too late. And that's the mercy of God and the beauty of the gospel, that there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. The only way for anyone to have eternal life, including those that, that Jude's talking about here, is if they come to God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and putting their faith and trust in him, repenting of their sins and trusting in him and him alone. That's it. But that is the opportunity. That is God's rescue plan for them that they would turn and put their faith and trust in him. And contending for the faith as it relates to this group means being actively involved in God's redemptive role in saving lost people from judgment. This is what we mean when we talk about our four measures and that second one that says live missionally. That's a part of living missionally is being a part of God's rescue strategy, God's rescue plan that I'm looking all around me and I see the urgency that there are people that are that close one breath away from an eternity spent in hell. That should re resonate with us, that urgency to be involved in their lives. In our sermon planning this past Tuesday afternoon, we were wrapping up and, and Russell, uh, we were talking about that word snatching and, and it reminded Russell of a, a hymn. And of course it did because Russell knows all the words to every hymn that's ever been written. Um, I'm just kidding. But he is quite good at remembering things. But it's a, once I say the hymn, you'll, I reckon I know this hymn. I know the words, but it didn't connect with me but it's an old hymn by Fanny Crosby entitled Rescue the Perishing. But listen to these words. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from the sin and grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. I think Fanny Crosby was reading Jude and she had that idea that God's rescue plan meant involving snatching people from death, from hell. And we are called to do the same thing. The third group, letter C, show mercy with fear. Show mercy with fear. He says to, sh to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This last group is, is a group that obviously is lost, but they are leading others away from God. These are the false teachers. These are the most committed apostates possible. And Jude uses a very vivid and graphic 
image here, that sin has stained and contaminated them. And so here's the warning to the group that's called to go and show mercy to them. That show mercy to them, show love to them, but don't get too close. Show mercy, but don't get too close. There's a real danger here because in their, those apostate teachers' error-filled teaching, we might also become susceptible if we get too close. And so it's more of a warning here in that part of the rescue strategy that as we try to show mercy, we do it, what does he say? With fear. What's the fear? It's the sin that has stained those false teachers. And so we, we tread on very light ground as we do that. Jude is warning us that contending for the faith and this group particularly requires great care. Don't get too close, stay pure and fear sin. To sum up this last section, this Roman numeral three, God has called all of his children to be his mercy to a lost and dying world. This is living missionally. Do you remember when you first experienced God's mercy in your life? Do you remember when you first experienced God's grace and mercy through salvation? Can you, can you take your mind back to that moment for those of you that are in Christ when that happened? Can you remember that moment when you came to know Christ and experienced his love, his grace, his mercy in a personal and a real way? And what I want you to do is as you think about that moment, the challenge for all of us as believers is to be able to take that mercy, that grace that we experience to those who are doubting, to those who are questioning, to those who are struggling, to those who are far away from God, to those that are even teaching a false gospel, that we would be willing to take God's mercy and grace to them as well. If you're here outside of Christ, I pray that this morning, just hearing about these three groups reminds, perhaps for the first time, reminds you of what your eternal destination will be outside of Christ. However, the message of grace and mercy is as simple as John 3.16. And I bet probably most of you know John 3.16. And so if you're looking to be able to share God's mercy and grace this week, you can use John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave who? His only son. He gave his only son, sent his son into this world, lived a sinless, perfect life. And he went to the cross as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice on behalf of all those who would repent from their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ. And so God sent his one and only son that whosoever, what? Believed for those that turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ and him alone for their salvation will be saved and experience what? Eternal life. John 3, 16 can allow you to share God's grace and mercy with others.